Hey guys, welcome back to the show where we talk about your emotional issues and bring clarity to them so you can go on and make the decisions you want to make with your life. Learn to process your emotions. It's both declarative and procedural. Declarative in that there's an intellectual component. There's a way you process emotions. There's a process through which you become ever more aware of your emotions, more awareness of your unconscious, more willpower, more discipline, more ability to make decisions you want to make. But there's also a, a procedural aspect to it. You know, like I could teach you, teach you all the uh, forces behind or how a bike works. Why, when you're riding a bike, how, how you can stay up, but it's difficult to stay up when you're still probably something to do with the gyroscopic forces in the wheels turning. You can learn that, but that doesn't necessarily help you ride a bike. That may help a little bit. I don't know, it's good to know why things work. If you're philosophically, maybe more analytical like I am, philosophically minded, I mean. But uh, it doesn't help you ride the bike, but we can show you what also the procedure behind it, what you need to do to ride a bike. And if you do therapy with me, you know, I'll be there. Um, you know, put training wheels on, you know, training wheels to make it uh, a little easier at first, you know, just to get you used to it, just to get you used to how it would feel if the training wheels weren't there. Oh, you could do the thing with the scooter, so it'll get you a scooter. And I, I remember this before I knew how to ride a, a bike. There, I, I was on a scooter, and I realized if I pushed on the scooter, like I could stand up on on two wheels on a scooter. Um, well, bikes no different. I think I, I remember at least how I remember it is. Oh, okay. So if I can do this, and I can ride a bike. Then you do the thing where I'll hold on to the back of your seat as you're riding the bike and, uh, um, you know, just so you feel safe and then you can probably do it on the own. And then I'll do the thing <laughs> where I say I'm holding on to the back of the seat, but I'm really not, you know, like Dumbo's magic feather and you think I'm holding on. And then as soon as you realize I'm not holding on, you'll fall off. That's okay, right? That's part of the, the process. But it eventually gets to the point where you uh, can ride your bike on your own. You don't make it you know, it's not just making decisions you want to make. That's part of it. But but engage you with a process through which you will be able to make more and more decisions based on what you want to do with your life, not based on past emotional traumatic issues that you have yet to manage. So your life increasingly goes in the direction that you want it to go in because you want it to go in that direction. Not because you're trying to make up for, or compensate, or hide some pain from your past that you have yet to manage. That's what we talk about here. Long-winded way of saying that's what we talk about here. This week we have a question from a listener. Thank you guys for these questions. It's so helpful for me when I learn what you guys want me to talk about as opposed to me just sitting here thinking about what would be good to talk about. This question is about the Dr. Gaber Mate. He was on Joe Rogan recently. I think he just came out with the book. People have been talking about him a lot. And this listener asked what my thoughts of him are and what he says. So we'll go through what he says. I did not read his book. And just as a, I guess, a proviso disclaimer for this, this is not a, this will not be a criticism of Gabra Mate. This is only a criticism of what he says on this particular Joe Rogan podcast. And just the first half of it, because... You know, you listen to a three-hour podcast, and it's nice that it's three hours. If you're really into the yes, you listen to the whole thing, but really the last half of it is them not really talking about anything too relevant. Uh, 
So I just want to be clear, this is not a criticism of Gabriel Monte. This is simply a criticism of what he says. I did not read his book. I do not care to. It seems to be one of these things, the, the, the kind of book I'm allergic to, where it's a glorified blog post, right? You can go, this, this is what you do, right? I think I've talked about this before, but this is what you do. If, if there's some scientist, I don't know, PhD, who wrote a 300, 400-page book, what you do is you go and look at the research articles that that scientist uh, wrote, and one of those research articles is the preliminary you know, iteration of the book. What, what happened is he wrote this research article, it got a lot of attention, and a book company came to him and said, hey, you want to turn this into a book? Just add some more personal stories. It's, it, it needs to be a blog post, and really that research article needs to be a blog post, but research article is a lot better than reading a 300, 400-page book. So I'm going off of what Gabramonte says in this. And um, that's it. Now I'll go through his points here and I'll do that now. So his points are, um, and, and they build on top of each other. His points are generational trauma is impactful and this trauma is transmitted throughout the generations through attachment, through attachment disorder, which I think is really important. Uh, by, by the way, just to hint at what I'm going to say here, I think a lot of what Gabramante says in this interview is correct. There's a lot of truth coming out of his mouth. However, the problem with it isn't in what he says, it's what he doesn't say. It's, it's like that Simpsons when Lisa goes to the, the jazz concert and and some, some guy's upset with it. He's like, I don't get what's going on. She's like, it's not in the notes that she plays. It's the notes that, that she doesn't play. That's that's the important part. And Gus says, well, she, she doesn't play. I, I can go listen to that at home. Uh, right? <laughs> that's what's going on here. A lot of this conversation is like jazz. Like, yeah, there's some, some hint at a melody here, but because he misses key points, I think everything that he says ultimately will fall apart. Much like jazz. Not a fan of jazz, if you guys can't tell. So there's no problem in what he says. Everything that he says here is ultimately correct, but the issue is in what he doesn't say. So what he says is genera generational trauma is impactful. It's transmitted through attachment. Yes, I think attachment's really important. Like I say, if I could just sum up what's going on psychologically right now in America and the West, is it's attachment disorder. People don't know how to create secure attachments. I've been saying that for years. And then, so that's the first point. The second point is attachment is the ultimate source of trauma. Poor attachment is the source of trauma. Generally, yeah, I'd say that's true. And then he says that trauma leads to dysfunction. Trauma leads to psychological dysfunction. That way you see, you know, he talks about a lot of it, uh, attention disorders, um, you know, drug addiction, personality disorders. This is all rooted in trauma. Close. And, well, correct, but not the whole truth. So what does Gabramante miss? Well, from my perspective, he misses three main things. The first one is that it's not just trauma dysfunction. It's not that you just get traumatized and now there's some you have some dysfunction because your parents didn't raise you because they were alcoholics or they lacked secure attachment. There's an X factor in there, right? There's something that I brought up in the beginning of, of, of this show. Of, of this video just there is a way that you manage emotions and we got to get this right and there's some hints right there's some hints of Gabramate in this interview 
acknowledging that, but he doesn't call attention to it explicitly. So the way that he generally presents this, this issue is you're traumatized from your parents and you have these behavior patterns, you have this dysfunction because of this trauma, because of this insecure kind of attachment from your parents. You know, my, my opinion on this unpopular I know is that there's no such thing as avoidant attachment. Avoidant attachment is you're insecurely attached and you've been burned a little bit too many times, so now you're avoidant. It's still insecure attachment. There's just insecure and secure attachment. So there's trauma. Now you have emotional dysregulation from, and, and I know if, if you've watched two and a half of my videos, you, you know what I'm saying here, but this is so important to repeat, not just for you, but I need to hear myself say it, right? I, I, I need to remind myself of this often because we live in a culture where no, just nobody talks about this. Yes, you're traumatized from your parents. Yes, they had issues that they gave you. But that's not why you have the dysfunction. You have the dysfunction because you don't know how to manage those issues that your parents gave you. And the way that he talks about this is, oh, your parents give you issues and now, now you have insecurity in your life. You know, he has this story, you know, and, and this is why I'm not going to read his book because it's just these kinds of points uh, built in with some fluff of, of story from his life, which, you know, that I'm sure there's interesting stories that illustrate what he's talking about. That's great. I don't care enough read I'd rather just go read another uh, young collector works again add to my annotations of that that's way way more rewarding for me so he has this story about okay so he's Jewish he's Hungarian I guess when the Nazis invaded Hungary at some point I don't know the exact history behind that his mom was afraid that she was going to be killed and he was 11 months old at the time I think he was born in 43 I think um 44 whatever it doesn't matter and his mom in this state of panic handed him off when he was 11 months old to his uncle and he extrapolates this out to be well what was the message I received in that situation I, I, I learned that I was unwanted yeah maybe I don't know I mean, I mean there's there's a lot of you don't know that for sure but possibly it could mean that you're unwanted you're unlovable so now he sort of attributed not just that story, but stories like that from his childhood. Some of it has to do with Nazi occupation. Some of it has to do with generational trauma. And that's why he had his issues, which he talks about being workaholism. Uh, and I would define workaholism, but which of course he doesn't talk about, right? The, the difference between working hard on something because you love it and workaholism. Of course, he doesn't distinguish that. And that goes back to the, the dysregulation that he doesn't explicate very well right there's nothing wrong in what he says but what he doesn't say there's this x factor in there trauma between between trauma and dysfunction it's called dysregulation and you don't know how to talk about that as exemplified by the fact that you don't you don't care enough in this interview and it's so vital like it, i think if you have a good perspective on emotional issues and how they work it is vital if you're on joe rogan to talk about now here's the difference between workaholism working because you don't feel good enough and you need to justify yourself in the work that you do versus working because you have a purpose and you have these values and you want to explicate them you want to iterate them in your own way in the world that's deeply rewarding based on who you are as a human and i'll go back to my values in therapy i don't know why i look at my computer when i do that go back to my values in therapy video where i talk about that more and I guess this leads into my next point. What, the, the next thing that he misses 
Tyler screaming there is how exactly do you attach? So this whole interview, at least the first half that I listened to, uh, this whole interview, he talks about um, how to attach correctly. Or, or no, excuse me, he talks about attachment. He doesn't talk about how to attach correctly. He just talks about insecure attachment, secure attachment, how to attach correctly. Uh, it doesn't show exactly what it looks like in adults. He shows what insecure attachment isn't and what it is when you're a parent and you have this, this child. Um, needs to be love and accepted, a calm environment, all those things which, which I think are important, but that's not really specific. It doesn't really show specifically what the problem is. If there's a problem in culture, a huge problem called attachment disorder, you'd think the first thing you would need to do, just like any other problem, right? like I say with, with bridges collapsing, or if there's a problem with, with motor oil not being changed soon enough in cars, okay, that's a problem. You'd think what you would do is get painfully, obviously specific, like explain it to a second grader kind of specific, simplicity about what healthy attachment is and he kind of talks about it by saying yeah you need to be calm around infants and let them know that they're wanted and that that's why he brings up the story about him when he's 11 months old being handed off to his uncle from his mom and this fit of panic that she was in afraid for her life because of the nazi occupation but that doesn't really sh indicate what attachment is and and by the way simply accepting and trying to ameliorate any kind of stress that, that a child is in isn't necessarily lead to healthy attachment either, right? There's a balance there. Yes, when the child is six months old, they completely lack the ability to self-soothe. So as the parent, you need to be there to be calm and self-soothing, but you know, you know, the be in my bonnet, my pet peeve about this is parents take that now. We know that now. We've been talking about that for a lot in culture. Now we take that to the nth degree and you have that story of, you know, the eight-year-old straddling his father at the birthday party in the park and him crying and the father calming him down like the eight-year-old's an infant, but the eight-year-old's not an infant, right? He has the ability at that point, definitely by eight, I mean, really by two, to begin to soothe on its own. So really you get poor brain development. You get essentially what we're talking about is um, the uh, <clears throat> connection between prefrontal cortex and your limbic system. Uh, you know, I'm being uh, crude here. This is not specific. I will get more specific with this. I have a presentation coming up on bipolar disorder. So I will get more specific about what that connection is. And it's more, I mean, it's, but generally it's prefrontal cortex, your executive function with your emotional system. Well, if you coddle an eight-year-old, he is not exercising that part of his brain. He is not creating the ability to self-soothe. If you coddle him and when he cries, it becomes an issue. And I would even argue with a two-year-old. Uh, we almost got a two-year-old here and part of, I mean, I, I think, you know, she's ready to start soothing. So it depends on the age. You know, and another crucial aspect, a crucial detail that needs to be discussed. And I, again, from my perspective, this is me thinking. If you have a proper context in your mind of these issues you're talking about, generational trauma, attachment, this is crucial to bring up. That you don't treat a six-month-old like you would an eight-year-old. And if, But if you're listening to this interview and you, and you are just a layman, you know, you're not an expert in it, then you would think if a kid's crying no matter his age, generally if it's a child still, if we consider that a child, then that's bad and that's not necessarily bad 
it's healthy to cry. You know, it's healthy to have these negative emotions. And of course, if you're a parent, you still be in tune with them like you would with an adult, but it's, it's really not much different. Um, you know, you know, you know, just like a, a horror story in my mind is somebody listening to this interview and maybe even reading his book, because I doubt uh, Monte goes into this in his book, uh, but a, a parent of a toddler who, and the toddler gets frustrated, right, when it's trying to do something, when it's trying to complete a task or do a toy something, and it gets frustrated and can start cr crying, and the, now the parent goes, oh, well, I, you know, I don't want my child to cry. You know, that's poor attachment, according to Gabra Mate. So you have this two-year-old and they're frustrated that they're, you know, putting block shapes in a toy or something. And it's, and the child's getting frustrated, of course. And now the parent just wants to go in there and do it for them. That is going to be awful. Awful for the child's development. No, the frustration's okay. It's okay if you feel frustrated. You know, we're not going to punish you for being feeling frustrated, of course. And I'm going to acknowledge your frustration, but but I'm not going to remove the frustration. Right? That it's it's your job to be comfortable with that, and you're only going to be comfortable to the with your frustration to the extent that I'm comfortable in a sense with my own frustration as a reflection of how I'm comfortable with your frustration. Is this making sense? Am I getting through? I, 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 you know, I have these ideas and sometimes it's difficult to communicate them. Um, but yeah, but so he's unclear about the most important part ultimately, which is how do you attach? How do you attach correctly? How do you talk about emotions in a healthy way? Right, just that's just not there. There's just secure attachment somehow, which comes from accepting others, which that's part of it, but that's only a symptom. I would say it's only a symptom of, of learning how to talk through emotions. First, we got to learn, uh, you know, um, what emotions are and how to talk through them, of course. But uh, I guess the, the main point here that he gets wrong, which, which falls in line with this, not knowing how to connect properly. You know, getting specific about that, um, which I will say, you know, first, you've got to learn how emotions work. Go read my book. It's nine dollars on Amazon. Go read my book on, on how what a, a, a emotions fundamentally are, how they're structured. And this gives us all the information we need to talk through our emotional experience, naming the emotion, talking about this situation first. Can you talk about an emotional situation in your life with, with being fully honest about it? A lot of us just have a, a difficult enough time doing that. And then, you, you, know, you know, some guy comes on, Joe Rogan starts talking about attachment, and then you try to, it, it's just too many layers removed, right? He's like, it just feels like he's not meeting people where they are. So talk about emotional situations in your life. Honestly, talk about emotions or, or name the emotion. Why do you have that emotion? What does it mean to you? How does that emotion relate with, uh, how is that? How is your emotion ultimately your responsibility? It's not because your mom gave gave you away to your uncle when the Nazis occupied Hungary. That that's not the reason. That may be some fundamental cause, but that's not what's going on in your life right now. You have an issue because of that. Now that issue is your responsibility. What precisely is that issue? And once you learn what precisely that issue is, then you know talk about your responsibility. So, okay, so he has workaholism because he doesn't maybe feel good enough or he feels like he needs to compensate for something. So we would look at, well, where do you, 
how do you get to this place where you don't feel good enough? You know, what emotional mismanagement? Usually there's some emotional repression that you do unconsciously. The end result of which is not believing you're good enough and now you're trying to compensate with work. It's not just changing that belief, right? You go to a cognitive behavioral therapist, you go to a life coach and they're just gonna work on your beliefs. No, beliefs is step four, step five. Trying to change your belief without changing the emotional mismanagement, good luck. You can do it, people can do it, but then by definition, you don't have a psychological issue if you can just do that. So the most important part of this, I think, that he misses, that he kind of talks about, he just kind of throws in there, and it may not even be a full sentence, it's just like part of a sentence. Maybe it's more than that, I don't know. Give him, uh, not take, take away all credit from him. And again, this isn't not taking away credit from Gabriel Mate, just be clear, but what he says in this interview, is the main point with generational trauma. I mean, it's become a buzzword, and I don't know if it's still like this, but when I was in grad, graduate school, all the research was about generational trauma, how generational trauma perpetuates itself through generations. And I do think it's important, but so much of it is looking at the past. It's looking at how you are affected or how you were affected by generational trauma in your family, not not looking at how you could potentially affect future generations. That's the key issue. And I've just seen this so much with people who've been in therapy for years and they come and work with me and let's say their mom was a narcissist and now they have a, a syndrome, a set of symptoms because their main caregiver growing up was a narcissist. And that's a real thing, you know, it's called narcissistic abuse. It means you have abuse, emotional, you, you were uh, submitted to emotional abuse because your primary caregiver, perhaps caregivers, were narcissists. And so much time and energy they've spent in therapy, they could have been in therapy for five, 10 years. They know a lot about narcissists and a lot about their patterns and oh, my mom did this and this affected me in this way. They could write you a thesis on that. But you know what they don't know about <laughs> is their own patterns. Yeah, that's how your mom affected you. How, do, how have you affected your children negatively? And everybody gets a pat on their back for saying, here's how my mom negatively affected me, not how I've neg- negatively affected my children or if I don't have children or Uh, how I will negatively affect them, or simply how I negatively affect people in my life. Yes, your mom gave you this issue, now you have this issue, and because you mismanaged the issue, you're gonna go on to negatively affect people in your life. How precisely do you do that? That's the key. If we're talking about generational trauma, that's the key, but you don't get that key until you understand how emotions work how to manage them based on how they work, how to process them is what I'm talking about. And by process, I simply mean become more aware of your emotions. All the talk on generational trauma and going through these stories of, oh yeah, my mom handed me off to the my uncle because of the Nazi. And by the way, you need to talk about that stuff. That's important. But you only talk about that stuff for the purpose of looking at yeah, where your pattern comes from, and by extension, what your pattern is. And then once you understand what your pattern is, 
you know, it's not your fault, of course. It's not your mom's fault. It's nobody's fault. We're talking about psychology, not philosophy. This is not a court of law. It's nobody's fault, technically, but it's nobody else's responsibility beside your own. And that's, you know, when we're talking about generational trauma, I mean, you know, part of the attachment disorder, there's anxiety from this and anxiety. One popular way that anxiety is expressed in our culture is victimhood. And so much of, of Gabor Mate's interview here, and I'm guessing his book, and this isn't just Gabor Mate, but just how this is talked about in culture, in academia, because I've witnessed nothing but this, is just um, validating. It is bolstering. It is providing more and more of an intellectual basis for victimhood. Not that he's wrong, but unless you get the emotional management part, unless you can talk as clearly about how you will negatively affect your children, as clearly as you can as, as how your parents negatively affected you, then you will perpetuate the issue. You will, Whatever your parents gave you, you will perpetuate on your children, maybe in a little bit different way, a little bit less, but the issue is still going to be there. So that's what we can help you with here, right? It's just about clarity. And ultimately what Gabor Mate and what a lot of the psychology, self-help, therapeutic field, this multi-billion, tons of billion dollar industry, what they miss is clarity. We can show you how emotions work and because emotions work in a certain way, we talk through them in this way. And once you start doing that, patterns will emerge. We land on a uh, central, you know, fundamental pattern. I will put it in my own words, but you put it in your own words. And once we land on that, then how to manage effectively any situation in your life. Because any problem in your life ultimately comes from mismanaged emotions, ultimately. Then this will give us the roadmap to how to become ever more aware of your unconscious so you can make the decisions you want. If you're interested in finding more about out about what I do, animusempire.com slash schedule. If you guys have a question, there's a contact form on the website, but also email me uh, directly, animus at animusempire.com. Thank you guys. And remember that when it comes to your growth, when it comes to your psychological growth, uh, the key isn't to look at how others affect you. It's to look at how you affect others.